Welcome to Business Resilience Dakota from Disaster Recovery Journal and Asphalus Advisors. Now, here's your host, Vanessa Vaughn Matthews. Welcome to Business Resilience Decoded. I am your host, Vanessa Vaughn Matthews, the founder and chief resilience officer of Asphalus Advisors. We have two accomplished guests lined up for you today, speaking on the topic of soft skills. So let's jump right in and meet Brian Zawada, the Chief Visionary Officer of Evolution, and Cheyenne Marling, the Managing Director of BC Management. Brian and Cheyenne, thanks for joining us today. Thanks, Vanessa. So can you guys tell our listeners more about you and how you got into the world of business continuity? Mine was by accident. I was in the uh, United States Air Force and coming out of the military, I joined a uh, technology risk consulting firm. And one of the first projects they put me on had to do with this thing called business continuity. And when I was assigned to it, ultimately, it, they, you know, I said, wow, this is a lot like what the military calls contingency planning. And I've really been doing that ever since. Uh, the irony is, is that during that first assignment, that was one of the first times that uh, Cheyenne had reached out to me to introduce herself and, and her staffing firms. So that's been about, I guess, it's close to 20 years ago now. I got into the industry back in 1998 and um, always been a recruiter staffing, um, but I moved out to California in 1998 and joined a company, Management Recruiters International, MRI, and they had a very large contract with ComDisco. I thought at that time I'd be placing network consultants, Java programmers. That was really the buzz back then. But on our contract, we started placing all these business continuity consultants, senior consultants, managing consultants, all within ComDisco. It was a huge account for us at the time. And I was just so enthralled with speaking with these individuals, you know, about how they would manage events, how do they plan for events, they're so passionate so much more interesting to talk to than uh, a network engineer. So I fell right into it, loved it, and started BC Management in uh, March of 2000 to be specifically focused in this niche profession. So Brian, what's what's the history of Evolution and kind of where you guys are today? Sure. So uh, the fall of 2005, when my business partner and I now, um, Rob Giffen, decided that uh, we wanted to start a firm that focused exclusively on crisis management, business continuity, and IT disaster recovery. At the time, there were a lot of firms, large consulting firms out there that did many, many different things. Um, there were also a lot of individual practitioners and, and uh, consultants out there, but there didn't seem to be um, a path forward to having a larger firm that kind of became a, almost like a one-stop shop in terms of helping organizations through the challenge of preparedness. And that's that's really how it all started. So we started the company headquartered out of Cleveland, Ohio. We focused on growing it very, very slowly and carefully. The irony is that we were risk averse and that didn't want to take on a whole lot of debt. We wanted to grow it organically. And we did exactly that. Focused exclusively on consulting at first, but about, I think it was about a year, year and a half into it, uh, we got into the software space as well because software could really help our clients, our consulting clients at the time, manage and continually improve the work that we had started. So we had a, a software tool at the time called the Planning Portal, uh, which was retired a little over a year ago now. But we've been in the software business, I guess, for the better part of the last 13 years as well. And so today, our exclusive software platform is Catalyst. Today, we're uh, delivering services globally. Uh, we have, we still have our office in Cleveland, Ohio. We have an office in Dublin, Ireland as well to uh, serve really kind of as a headquarters of our European operations. 
we have people really scattered around the world being able to support our clients as well, many of them working remotely or from our, our client site. So prior to working through the um, acquisition of BC Management, which we'll talk about in a few moments, our singular focus was consulting and software in the business continuity space. So today we have about a little over 40 or so employees supporting both the consulting side and the software sides of our business. Our podcast listeners have been able to hear from Rob Giffen a couple months ago now. And mm-hmm. as you all know, we love entrepreneurs. So first of all, congratulations to both you, Brian and Cheyenne, for your growth, for your entrepreneurial bug, <laughs> and for um, being a part of this industry and this discipline. It's a pleasure. Um, so you you really tee up to the next question. Why did Evolution and BC Management join forces? And then how will this benefit your clients. Cheyenne, you want to go first? Of course. So Evolution and BC Management, historically, we have worked together as partners since the foundation of Evolution. You know, BC Management, of course, focused on the staffing side and the data research. And then whenever we had a client come to us requesting consulting services, we naturally would, you know, give that referral to um, Brian and team at Evolution. So we historically have worked with them as a partner since the foundation of the company. And not only that, we've known, I've known Brian personally going back to, you know, maybe 2000, quite some time ago. So he was my hiring manager before he started Evolution. So we have a tremendous amount of history there that it just made so much sense for us to um, really align and, and uh, move forward with an acquisition. You know, it's funny, as Cheyenne, as you were talking, I was, I was trying to count how many times we considered kind of joining forces over the years. And I think this is actually the fourth time we finally got it right. And uh, awesome. you know, prior oh. to this, probably the timing wasn't right, you know, until now. And I, you know, I think, I think our collective client bases, meaning those that, you know, kind of came out of BC management or those that have come out of the legacy evolution organization, they're now going to have, you know, a much greater, stronger array of services than they ever would have had if we would have been individual organizations, even though we were working as, you know, very closely together, as Cheyenne mentioned. I mean, today they now can have project-based consulting and, and program outsourcing. They have software, as I mentioned, with Catalyst. But now they can also have different options as their programs either mature or change. They have the ability to seek permanent placement staffing, staff augmentation. And I think one of the things I'm super excited about is bringing the data analytics that Cheyenne you know, and her firm bring to the mix and kind of sprinkling that into everything that we do. What's really cool, I think, is that Evolution's legacy clients and BC Management's legacy clients, in many ways, some of them were very different. And some probably weren't aware of evolution and vice versa. And so, you know, we're excited about introducing really all of these services to our collective body of clients and all with the goal of, you know, really helping them prepare and achieve the right level of resilience. And that's exciting. So I'd also like to add that um, we've had a lot of clients in the last two years, right, have come to us and they've wanted kind of mixed services. So they weren't sure if they wanted to, you know, add a new staff member for their program or if they wanted to do consulting or if they wanted someone to kind of work as a staff aug for, you know, a period of nine to 12 months. So having these joint forces with Evolution BC Management really gives us an opportunity to offer, you know, something to our clients that no one else is, is doing out there in the market. So we're really, really excited about it. So Cheyenne, you said a key word when you talked about your relationship with Evolution, and that was your historic partnership. And so with that being said, both of you have been in business for a very long time. What recommendations can you give to companies for a successful merger and acquisition? 
I'll let you take that one, Brian. (laughs) (laughs) I'll give it a shot. A few weeks back when we, um, as I mentioned, this is probably like the third or fourth time we've considered this. Um, Having been involved in conversations around mergers and acquisitions before, the advice that I've always been given by others, and I, I, I think it's spot on, is that you really need to be able to look at two, if not three things and, and obsess about them. Number one, does the combined organization or the individuals that are part of this potential merger, do they have a shared vision of you know what the future looks like? Can they collectively work towards achieving that? And I think absolutely our two organizations do have that shared vision. Number two, and probably even more important, is shared values. I know that when we got together to consider this, we looked at all the values that we as individuals and as individual organizations shared, and they were complete overlap. And I think that is that gives me such confidence this is going to be an incredible, successful venture. And I think the third is what I would allude to before is that I think Beast Management had a different set of clients than Evolution, but there was some overlap. And to kind of think of them almost as concentric circles, we don't have the same clients. And I think that ultimately means that we're going to have access to so many different ideas and different sources of feedback than we would have had as individual organizations. And that's only going to make us stronger. There's that old analogy of, you know, you hope one plus one equals something greater than two. Between our shared vision, our shared values, and the different sources of input and feedback that we have with our partners, our clients, and our friends that, you know, we're going to be very, very successful. Yeah, and the only other thing I'd like to add to that is the marketing message. So being very clear and succinct in what the message is out there to, you know, the clients and to the profession. We're so excited because we do share a lot of the same values and the vision, and we operate very similar as well. So it's, you know, making sure that you take that into account and don't try to force something in together. This is just naturally kind of occurred. So that's so important to to make sure you consider all angles and, and that that marketing message is one such that this industry is very tied together. And having that message is, I think, one that we really focused on right from the beginning. And I'm glad you I'm glad you brought that up because I think, you know, one thing that people will learn is that you know, there was different options we could have taken here. We could have come up with a new brand for both companies. We could have absorbed the brand BC management into Evolution. We've made the decision there's a lot of value in the brand BC management, and we intend to preserve both brands as they are today. And I think that's going to give our individual client bases confidence. We just think there's so much value in both brands, but in the background, we're going to very, very closely coordinate our efforts and really work together to be able to kind of tie them together and really provide that expertise to our clients uh, with all the different offerings that both organizations bring to the table. Listeners, for those of you out there and your companies are going through an M&A, you've got your, your top four, vision, values, a diverse customer base, and the marketing message, which to me all ties into culture. You've got to be aligned at the leadership level. So awesome and great advice. So Brian, you've obviously worked with dozens and dozens of organizations over the years. In Cheyenne, you're talking to hundreds of of companies each month regarding their staffing needs. What are you both seeing in terms of skills and experiences deemed absolutely necessary that must exist in successful business continuity professionals? Soft skills are so important because in, in this industry, you are having to understand across the organization, understand all the different components of the organization. You have to engage from the end user all the way up to the CXO level. 
So those soft skills, being able to be a leader within the profession, having that emotional intelligence, uh, really having that true passion to love what you do. Because if you aren't excited about what you're doing with your job, you're not going to get anyone else excited about putting together the program, implementing the program. So whenever my clients talk to me, they always say, we need a cheerleader. And I'm not a big fan of that term cheerleader. So I always go back and it's really looking for a champion, someone who can champion the program forward. With these soft skills, I mean, you're always having to, there's a sales component to what we do in the industry as well. So you're having to make sure that the, that the executives understand the importance of business continuity planning and, um, and, and elevating the program. And you always have to keep on doing that. You can't be complacent and think that you have the buy-in all the time. Things change within the organization. So I, I think the, the soft skills, the emotional intelligence, the passion, um, being a conceptual thinker, being able to engage, and then being a leader within the industry. And if you're a leader within the industry, the company is going to anticipate that you're going to be a leader within their program, a leader within their organization, and really champion that program forward. I think everything you just said is spot on. I mean, I definitely would would stop the, the emotional intelligence piece. I'll add a couple more things to this. And I think, number one, what I'm seeing with our most successful clients and our most successful programs, there's a constant demand for the business continuity professional to get far more strategic. And what I mean by that is the business continuity professional must have an ability not just to dissect the organization and its resources, but to understand how the organization delivers value today and how it may deliver and change tomorrow. What are the products and services? How, do the, how does the customer use the different products and services? What are their options? What are their alternatives? And ultimately, what risk does the customer take on by working with your organization? That's what I mean by being strategic. Now, at the same time, however, that doesn't mean that they can only play in the, in the, the strategic realm. They got to get into the organization and, and they need to tactically lead the execution of the business continuity planning process, whatever that process happens to be for the organization. So being able to move from the strategic to the tactical, internally at Evolution, we call this thinking at different levels. Um, that's how we hire internally. And we truly believe our clients value that key ability. I think thinking at different levels combined with emotional intelligence, as Shine was talking about, these are the people that are going to be the most successful today and well into the future. So let me flip the previous question around. Are there any skills gaps that you're both seeing that are consistently missing? Again, those, those leadership skills, um, our study has shown you know, time and time again that individuals are not developing their leadership skills. They're not out there giving presentations. They're not being, they're not publishing. They're not serving on a, on a related board. Those leadership skills can be developed at any point in your career. You don't have to wait until you have 10 plus years experience. I mean, you can immediately start developing those leadership skills and, and companies are really, really needing that to really champion their program forward. Another thing I want to mention is that as, as Brian said, the strategic piece, you have to think about the age of, you know, artificial intelligence, right? And so the two things that AI cannot do is lacking that creative piece that humans bring and the emotional piece. Those two components, people tend to overlook in really developing those skills. And that's going to be even more important as we move forward the age of AI, where AI will help drive the BIA process and the data gathering. But then having someone that understands how to be strategic and, and dissect the data and understand how to use the information to elevate the program is really, really key. Um, one other piece, the culture. 
of the organization. So you cannot just assume that you're going to create one program and it's going to work for another organization. So having understand the culture of the organization and what type of program is going to work best for that culture is, is another thing that's often overlooked within the profession. Yeah, and I'll add, I'm going to add just a couple of things. I, you know, I, in my previous answer, I alluded to the fact that thinking at different levels is a key skill. And, and that is missing in a number of, a number of people. And, and I think that's something that um, should be at the top of someone's list to continue to grow and, you know, as a professional. I, you know, I think people always talk about communication skills and analytic thinking. I think those are, you know, those are table stakes. You got to have them. The couple of the others, though, that I think are really important too that, not everyone has, and I'm not expecting everyone to have every possible professional skill that can't be, you know, that can't be perfect. But I would say that number one, helping the organization manage change. In other words, being a great change agent and having a good methodology around helping people through the pain of change. That's huge. And given the speed at which organizations are changing and how business continuity must change along with it, if, if you have that, that is a huge, huge bonus. Another is, you know, because you're probably not only involved in business continuity and you probably don't own all the resources involved in the business continuity planning process, today's business continuity professionals got to be really good at influencing and facilitation. And I think that goes back to alluding to what Cheyenne was saying or absolutely saying straightforward, EQ, emotional intelligence, and being able to read others and be able to interact well with others. And that's where the influencing and facilitation really comes into it. And then third thing I'd say is that you know, we, all, we oftentimes obsess about methodology and we, we talk about being having to be really good at and technical about doing a wide range of different planning activities. But the other thing we got to be really good at is being able to help our organization through a crisis or through an incident and helping them to respond. Being aware of what it takes to be a good leader or an influencer throughout the course of a disruption is huge because you've got to be able to pivot. You know, you, yes, you're going to add a lot of value throughout the planning process, but you're going to add a huge amount of value if you can help the organization work, respond effectively to minimize downtime, minimize impact, and get back to normal as quickly as possible. Managing change, that facilitation, influencing skill set, and really knowing how to pivot to helping to manage a crisis or an incident. Those would be three things that I think are oftentimes missing and mm-hmm. that we as a really need to work on. Yeah, and two other things I'd like to add to that, um, the value piece. So as you're developing a program, the business continuity professional has a huge opportunity to take the information they learn about the organization and create value and, and bring that value to human resources, bring that value to um, IT, bring that value to um, operations. So they're, they're not only building a program, but they're, they're bringing value across the entire organization. There's one more thing I want to bring up quickly. Um, brand. Everyone has a brand that's associated with them, and it's human nature to be able to predict how someone's going to react. And in our industry, that's even your brand is even more important to the program and to the organization. And your brand is being built brick by brick by brick. You know, individuals want to understand how you would react during an event. How do you react one-on-one? How do you react within a group? So as you continue to you know, develop your career, that brand that's you, you know, has, it's genuine and it's authentic. And that really drives the program forward too, especially as you continue to elevate the career. 
So like three questions just popped into my head because you guys just gave us a lot of nuggets. And so what I heard from you is the soft skills that we need are emotional intelligence, people who love what they do, conceptual thinkers, people who are strategic, they're change agents, they influence, they have the ability to facilitate, they bring value across the enterprise. They also are conscious of their brand and how that ties into the organizational brand. And more importantly, they can help a business through a crisis. One of the many questions that I have for you is, you know, so how do you implement this, right? So is that something, Cheyenne, that I would add to a job description and that I look to bring forth in the interview process? If someone had to think on a tactical level, how do I accomplish or how do I fill those skills gaps across my organization if they're not existing today? Yeah, you would definitely have to interview for it. So there are certainly those questions that you can zone in on the competencies or the soft skills that you feel like you need for your program or you need for the level of the individual that you're hiring for. It's also a matter of looking to see their involvement within the industry. You know, leaders tend to be more conceptual thinkers. Leaders tend to be more, I mean, they kind of have that passion that drives them, right? So if you're looking to hire an individual, look and see, are they, are they giving presentations? Are they serving in leadership positions within the community? Those are just very simplistic things to assess for, but obviously, you know, you can certainly target interview questions to, to really zone in on the competencies and, and soft skills that you're looking to hire for. Yeah, I was, so, yeah, was going to say, I think you got the, the behavioral assessment questions that, that Shane was talking about. In some cases, you could do case studies, you know, even if through in the course of an interview to be able to kind of work through those beyond looking at what someone's done historically. I know internally at Evolution, we also rely quite heavily. It's almost conversation starters. We don't draw specific conclusions based on them, but kind of behavioral assessments to be able to understand how people are wired, what motivates them. Like I said, they're conversation starters. We don't sit there and eliminate people based on the results. We don't hire people based on the results, but they're great conversation starters because those aren't the question, you know, being able to react to the findings aren't necessarily things people are prepared to talk about. And when you get a chance to talk about you know, themselves, how they're wired and how that's translated into the work environment, you really get a chance to get to get to know them at a personal level. And I think that's super powerful. So, Brian, on the podcast that Rob Giffen did for us and our listeners, he talked a little bit about training and development, whether it was the internal evolution team or some of your customers. And so one of the other questions that popped into my head was there's such a gap between those who have experience and those who are entering into this discipline who want experience Mm -hmm. versus the immediate need that I have. And so as you think about being a leader and developing people, how do you manage or navigate that? That's a great question. And Shane and I were actually talking about this just last week um, when we were talking about the synergies between our organizations and we were talking about a leadership role in our in our space. One of the things we took inventory of is the fact that if I wanted to go ahead and take a class on a BIA or I wanted to go ahead and take a class on how to facilitate an exercise, I probably won't struggle with finding one. They're out there. The problem is, is that we don't talk enough about the soft skills and what makes someone successful. And we don't have a carefully curated set of recommendations that where someone might be behind or where they might be lagging, you know, how, how we can help them navigate through the change of becoming good facilitators, good influencers, good change agents, good leaders, you know, to develop passion or even to find out what motivates them so that they can, you know, achieve that passion on their own. 
that's one of the things that we're really excited about is to bring, you know, our views of the profession and to be able to kind of curate those recommendations on how to develop those soft skills. You can do just like what most people would do. If you've got some feedback that you're not a really great analytic thinker, go Google, how do I become an analytical thinker? And you're going to find a number of different answers on that. Some are probably good. Some might not be so great. But the idea of being able to have a trusted coach and advisor and being able to have someone recommend great ways to develop these skills, I mean, that's going to be incredibly powerful. And that's something that we're really excited to sink our teeth into because that's a big problem that needs to be solved. And so this this is a question for both of you. I'm interested in your thoughts. So as I thought about all of this skills gaps that you guys talked about or, or just the mm-hmm. necessary skills that people need, <laughs> the question that came into my head are why are professionals not coming to the table with this? Is it because they don't know how? Is it because of lack of resources? Brian, to your point, is it because from a discipline standpoint that we're not creating the opportunity to develop them? Is it because their managers don't don't know how? What's the reason that people don't have the soft skills, they don't have the emotional intelligence, that they're not influencing or coming to the table with those types of capabilities? You know, it's it's scary to step out of your comfort zone, right? This is what really tests someone and really furthers that career growth. It's scary to go out and give a presentation. It's scary to put, you know, it takes some time to put together an article, right? It's scary to be able to give that time back and be on a board. That element, if you don't have someone that's kind of, I want to say, pushing you or driving you or challenging you to take that next step, you're likely not going to do it. You're going to show up to your job. You're going to do your job and then you're going to go home. But if you don't have someone there as a coach or as a mentor that's helping you really kind of step out into this, you know, out of your safe zone, you're you're likely not going to do it. I know for me, I've been giving presentations for, gosh, you know, 15 plus years. And I still to this day get scared right before my presentation. It's definitely on my comfort zone. And even though I've been doing it for over 10 years, it's it's still every time, every time. I think it's a just human nature. It's it's hard to kind of push yourself forward. And you really need someone out there to to drive you to the next level. And I am so ecstatic about being able to develop something like this with evolution because it's something that Alicia and I are just very big components of. And we have a lot of passion in developing the careers of others. And so we I'm just absolutely thrilled to develop this and, and help give back to the industry. And I think one of the big challenges here, and I'm, I'm going to talk about one professional and one personal for just a moment. Professionally, I think we're being asked to do more and more. We have so little time that we don't oftentimes have a chance to be able to pause and reflect and really invest in ourselves rather than just simply sacrifice to just to be able to really work to manage and mitigate so many different risks affecting our organizations. That's number one. I think it's the context of the world that we live in today. We're just very busy. But the other thing that I think is important is that we need to be professionally smart, emotionally intelligent enough to pause, reflect on our situation, you know, really take inventory of where we can improve and ask for some help. You know, sometimes that means you look to somebody that you respect and be able to say, well, what are you seeing? What, what do you think I should be working on based on either the role that I'm playing, the role I want to occupy in the future or in general? And being able to go ahead and be open-minded to that feedback and being open to possibly changing some maybe behaviors that are very, very entrenched because odds are to be able to go ahead and move forward in your career, there's probably going to be some things you need to change and work on. Being able to reflect on things like 
you know, giving a presentation, whether it be how you're approaching a problem strategically, are you overcomplicating something? How are how are you presenting a solution to others? Do you think it fits into their constraints? Are you positioning in a way to motivate them to participate? All of these things, they're all soft skills in many ways. And I think we need to find somebody that's going to be able to coach us and help us through the, the pain of change and all for the betterment of the individual and the organization. So definitely sounds like mentorship is a part of that answer. Um, Exactly. Exactly. (laughs) You both touched on the word vision at the beginning of this podcast. And so I want to ask this question. How do you both see the profession evolving? If you have to look the next five to 10 years out, how will it evolve? I've mentioned three or four times already how we need to be a little bit more strategic. I'm not going to say that again. I, I, I believe that's part of what's going to change and continue to change is that we're going to be forced to be more strategic. The other thing that I will point out that I think I've, I've heard over and over again from my clients and I think is a key attribute of any successful project or program that, that I've seen um, work at a very, very high level is the concept of simplicity. Not dumb it down. That's not what I mean. But being able to go ahead and remove unnecessary complexity from the program and remove unnecessary complexity from all the different things that we do as business continuity professionals. And so I think that we've got to be, you know, we talk about being reflective and kind of stepping back and looking at the work that we do. We need to really challenge the way in which we do certain things so that what we need out of our business partners in our organizations they can provide to us that we make sure that the process that we use can fit into their resource constraints. We still need input on requirements. We need input on risks. We need input on the best strategies to employ. We need their participation in many different activities. But how do we make it simple for them to participate? How do we help them understand the value and the importance of it? How do we trigger their motivators to be good participants in the business continuity program? That's what's going to change the most. We're going to be challenged to ultimately drive a higher degree of simplicity and strategic value. And I couldn't agree more. Having something that's simplistic is, again, so, so crucial. Um, if you think about how the industry was, you know, back in 98, when I first got into it, everything was very siloed. You know, the processes, the operations, very siloed. You had DR separate from business continuity, separate from health and safety, separate from risk. They all worked together, but they were very siloed across the organization. And now it's definitely more enterprise. It has been for some time, very enterprise-driven. You know, there's there's a lot of opportunity there because depending on the company, depending on the program or the industry, um, you could have so many different components within your program that you manage. It could be business continuity, cybersecurity, um, risk management, third-party risk management. So it's, it's evolving and changing so quickly. And the amount of information that's coming through, you know, being able to be strategic and understand what's going to work best for the organization and still make it simplistic. And it's actually something that's going to work, right? Because at the end of the day, when an event happens, you know, you need to make sure that what you developed is going to work across the organization. You guys have been a wealth of knowledge today for not only myself, but for our listeners. Um, Where can they find you? Well, as I mentioned before, we're keeping our brands the same. So that's an important (laughs) key takeaway here is that Probably the best way to kind of tap into some of our collective and individual thinking is through our websites, evolution.com and bcmanagement.com. I think, again, one of the things that I know Shane and I have talked a lot about and we're really excited about is collaborating like this podcast, but collaborating on other thought leadership pieces together that focus on the program and the individual, trying to drive that higher program maturity and higher degrees of individual program success. 
you know, we're going to, we're going to continue to publish there and our websites and many other places like DRJ. So that'll be big. But of course, email and LinkedIn. Obviously, mine's brian.zawada at evolution.com. And Cheyenne, yours? Yeah, I think, yeah, Shai Marling. And I'm on LinkedIn all the time, nonstop. That's the best way to find me. <laughs> Catching an afternoon run. <laughs> yeah, yep. absolutely. Love it, Cheyenne. Yeah. <laughs> and for social media, for those who may be on Twitter, I heard the LinkedIn handles, but are there any other social media handles? Yeah, my two are Twitter and LinkedIn. People can also individually email me too, and I'd be happy to provide any insight or any help that I can. Of course, same with me. Well, there you have it. Thanks for tuning in to Business Resilience Decoded with the Disaster Recovery Journal and Asfalis Advisors. Subscribe, share, download, and look out for future episodes. Business Resilience Decoded is produced and edited by John Seals. For more information, visit drj.com slash decoded and asfalisadvisors.com slash decoded. Write to us on Twitter at drdecoded. 